Hello and welcome to the Carolina Snowflakes podcast, where two Southerners come to terms with their liberal snowflake tendencies. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda. And I'm Jason. And we're here with this week's episode of the Carolina Snowflakes podcast. We're calling this one an Appalachian Analysis of Anxiety, which is a tongue twister and alliteration and an all-around awesome title. I like it. And we're Appalachian, and we're going to examine anxiety. We're recording this on Christmas Eve, which happens to be the most anxiety-ridden time of the year. Yeah, for sure. For most people. Mm -hmm. So uh, what more appropriate time to talk about the topic of anxiety and stress? I know for me, I tend to feel more around the holidays. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that my anxiety increases a great deal during the holidays mm-hmm. um, but I know that it does for a lot of folks I feel like my anxiety is pretty much constant yeah so <laughs> it's year round uh, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you just have a straight yeah. bar of high anxiety that doesn't yeah. really fluctuate yeah I think so for me it definitely goes up at this time of year mm-hmm. and it always ends on Christmas Eve that's good I always at least it ends yes I always have a great Christmas day I always feel really happy and after Christmas day I always feel a big relief mm-hmm. it's the build up and all the presents and stress and you know, traffic, all the... Obligations. Yes. Obligations. All the general things that I dislike Mm -hmm. that make me feel anxious and nervous. And so that like builds all the way up until there's nothing I can do about it on Christmas Eve. And then it's just like, oh, well, well, let's see how it goes. It's fun now. It's like, well, we're to the point now. I can't, you know, I can't run out and go buy another present. I'm done. For for me, it's kind of like the way road trips were when I I was a kid. (laughs) If you remember like going to... Six Flags or Disney World or whatever. It was like a multi-hour drive, and uh-huh. I got car sick, and I hated it. It was like the worst thing ever, but it was worth it because yeah, once you got there, but it took forever. Yeah, it was so much. <laughs> Why does it always take so long? Mm-hmm. It was like stress and feeling sick, and you know, being unpleasant, and then boom, you're there, and now it's worth it. And Christmas was always like that for me. Yeah. Well, I'm no stranger to anxiety. Yeah. And anxiety is no stranger to me. Yeah, you seem to handle it pretty well, usually. I know, that's the thing. I've been told that by professionals. <laughs> I mean, I can tell that you have it, uh-huh. because I know you pretty well, mm-hmm. but you, you seem to kind of handle it pretty well, especially in a, in the moment, if you need to. If you get adrenaline going, you handle it. I think it's just, I'm an internalizer. Yeah. I'm not an externalizer. So when I'm experiencing anxiety, most people around me would have no idea. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you can perform under pressure. So you're one of those people, like if all eyes are on you, you won't, you won't crumble. Right. You'll perform in that moment, but then you'll cry later. Yeah. Or eat. (laughs) Yeah. Or whatever you're going (laughs) to do. However, I'm going to cope with it. Uh Uh-huh. So I first kind of came to realize or learn that I was dealing with anxiety in my early 20s. Okay. I had gone through a very bad breakup mm-hmm. and I sought counseling because I thought I was depressed, which I was. And in that counseling, I also learned that apparently I have anxiety. Early, which, uh, a quick question, early mm-hmm. 20s, uh, do you mean like 2021? Oh, yeah. I was like 21, 22. Okay. So real early 20s. That's actually very common. The reason I was going to... Yeah. The reason I was asking is that's when it happened to me. And that's, from my understanding, the most common age, about from 19 to 23. Well, 
as it had turned out, I had dealt with it for a long, long time, even prior to that, but I didn't know that. Um, and so it wasn't really until the counseling expert, the therapist told me like, you're dealing with like social and generalized anxiety here. And I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I spent like kind of the early parts of my twenties, um, dealing with, I guess it would be kind of social anxiety more so than, than anything else where I really had a intense fear of going places in particular, I didn't want to go into places by myself because I felt like people were looking at me. Okay. And I felt like I was being judged. Okay. And so I would get so overwhelmed, like going even just grocery shopping, that there were a few times where I had to like leave my cart and leave the store because I just, I felt like the whole place was just closing in on me. I remember there was one time I was grocery shopping and all of a sudden, like the lights in the store just seemed 10 times brighter and everyone was just sort of moving in in this like streamer effect. And all I could hear was the dinging of the grocery items being rung up in the registers up front. Oh, yeah. It I can this, picture that in yeah, my head. Yeah. It was just this very overwhelming like experience and there's the monotonous beep 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 and that's like and it was so loud drilling a hole into yes, your brain yes and i yeah. was like I, I can't and so then i would get like lightheaded and i would get dizzy and i had to leave <laughs> you so, know it's interesting it's similar it's almost similar to paranoia the way you're describing it so you're you're afraid that people are judging you like you can mm-hmm. put that's fascinating to me that you can put it on that i I never experienced it in that way, which is, which is, I just find fascinating. No, mine was all a very self-conscious, hyper-awareness of my own being and thinking that other people were looking at me. Yeah, and so in your brain, the cause of it was that that other people were judging you, which is Mm -hmm. very similar to paranoia, which I find, I mean, a lot of your symptoms are very similar to paranoia in that situation. diagnosing me with paranoia? No, I'm saying that it's like, um, if you've ever tried the devil's lettuce, Uh um... (laughs) Uh, and if you've smoked marijuana, you know that sometimes it causes paranoia, and that's a lot what it feels like. Well, there's a good reason why I don't do yeah. that. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah. How you doing? Yeah. Um. So that continued mm-hmm. as just kind of being a thing, although I eventually had to learn to get over it, quote unquote, because <laughs> I had to go shopping. Uh-huh. The, like, I... I didn't always have somebody available to go with me. So eventually right. I just sort of had to learn to deal with it and hmm. get through it. And I did. But I think that although I was able to get through that part of things, I don't think my anxiety ever really went away. Right. You just found a way to <laughs> yeah. cope. Um, so a few years later, when I was in grad school, I was working on a group project with um, this girl, lady, whatever, who was a very um, type A control person. Okay. I am also a type A control yeah. person. I was going to say, who was carrying the project then? And so you, it's a really bad idea to have two of those in yeah, the same Yeah, it is. And so I decided to just rein back. She was not only like type A control, she was kind of rude about it. Yeah, sure. I feel like I have a little bit more of like a diplomatic touch. You are very <laughs> diplomatic. 
about it. But this woman was not like that. Mm -hmm. And so she just kind of took control and told each of us what we were going to do and when to have it done. And so I was like, all right, you're boss lady. I'll do what you tell me to do. And so I did. And she was like, okay, well, I'm going to take everything you guys have put together and I'm going to formalize it into a presentation and I'll send it to you to look at um, before I submit it. Mm -hmm. And so she did. She put it all together and I'm looking through it and none of the stuff that I had put together for the project was included. Okay. And I was like, where's my shit? Uh-huh. Like I spent hours doing this work. Yeah. And you're going to fight this lady over it. Where's my stuff? Uh-huh. And I hit her up and I was like, um, is there a reason why you didn't include anything that I, this work that I did for our project? And she was like, oh, well, yeah, I just felt like it didn't really fit. It didn't really work. So I just put put my own in there. Oh, wow. And I was like, are you kidding me? Uh huh. And I was like, well, have you already submitted? And she's like, oh, yeah, I already submitted. Uh-huh. And I was just like, you bitch. Uh-huh. You bitch. Uh-huh. You gave me busy work. Uh-huh. Like, I think that's what she did. Honestly, looking back, I'm like, I think she just was like, here, do something over here. And I'm really, I'm going to be in charge of okay. the whole thing. Well, it pissed me off. I, um, I wrote a bad review about her <laughs> in our, like, we had to submit to our professor, like a review of the group and, mm-hmm. you know, it was HR, so of course you're going to have to analyze <laughs> people uh-huh. and their work. Um, so I wrote really nasty things about her because she was such a mega bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I was mad. And so later on that evening, I was online and I was chatting with my friend and relaying to her what had happened. Okay, and you're getting reworked up. You're yeah, feeling and I'm emotions. just getting like worked up and just mad and thinking okay. about what had happened and how just horrible this woman was. Okay. And my friend was like, well, you know, hang in there. It'll be all right. And you'll probably still get a good grade. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I got to go. And I was like, okay, well, thanks for listening. Bye. You know, so she leaves. And so then I'm left alone. Mm -hmm. And all of the sudden, (laughs) all of the sudden, I feel this like intense wave of cold come through my body okay followed by an intense wave of hot yes and it starts doing that over and over and over okay from like head to toe these waves of hot and cold and hot and cold and i start feeling kind of dizzy and i start feeling like lightheaded and i'm thinking i'm dying yeah this is it yep Something has happened and my body is shutting down and I am dying. Did you feel, I have a question, did you feel very disconnected from your body as if your brain was somewhere, like medicine head almost, your brain is outside or above your body? Sort of, Mm -hmm. but also not because I was very aware of what my body was doing Mm -hmm. or how it felt. And so I was like, well... I didn't even question it. I didn't question. It wasn't a, if I'm dying or maybe I'm dying. It was like, no, this is it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm dying. You just accepted it. Yes. And so I was like, well, I'm going to be found dead <laughs> in the morning. Wow. So I need to make sure that I have everything in order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> That's my You point. would. 
I know. Wow. Okay. So I was like, well, my room's a mess. Uh-huh. Like, I don't want the EMS and the, the <laughs> coroner people to come up in here and be like, oh, wow. this dead girl's That's got a hilarious. disaster of a bedroom. Wow. So in my like... <laughs> overwhelmed hot cold still didn't want to be dizzy self yes it's a pervasive theme yeah it is um I, I i decided to clean so like i started straightening up my room and putting things away and i was like well i'm gonna be found dead let me put on some clean nice clothes <laughs> <laughs> so gotta look presentable if i'm I gonna know. be dead so that's all i could think about was like i'm gonna be found in the morning dead it's in my best interest to to look my best and be my my best in appearances for when the medical people arrive. <laughs> I guess, sure. <laughs> don't ask me. I don't know. This was my brain. Uh-huh. And so like I changed clothes. I put on like, you know, clean, nice, clean clothes. I made my bed. Uh-huh. And I laid down on top of the bed on the on the comforter and sheets. Yeah. You made it very like romantic looking kind of, I guess. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna lay down now to die. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm laughing now because I know better. Because you didn't die. But in the moment it was not funny. You right. Know? No, it's not funny at all. Um and so I did. I laid down and I like closed my eyes still with this wave of hot and cold and my body's just kind of shaking and I'm feeling overwhelmed and eventually I fell asleep. Yes. And I woke up and the next morning and, and I wasn't fine. dead. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this makes no sense. Yeah. I was supposed to die. Yeah, I thought I died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, something happened. I, maybe I'm still dying. It's just delayed. Yeah. <laughs> maybe there's a pause. <laughs> yeah. So I went to the hospital. Yeah. Because I just Thought I knew died. something was wrong and mm-hmm. I was like something happened. I think I'm still dying. Let me just go be sure. What they tell you what they tell <laughs> you at the hospital. I had a really wonderful nurse practitioner. Okay. Who saw me and I went in and just said I think I'm dying. Mm-hmm. Like she, she anyway, she was like, "Okay. <laughs> well, we've checked all your vitals, your temperature, your blood pressure, pulse, oxygen, everything. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. Everything is good. You give us no reason to think that you're about to drop dead." Yeah. And I was like, "Are you sure?" Yeah. <laughs> you know? And she was like, "Okay. Let me ask you some questions." Uh-huh. And I was like, okay. And she's like, do you ever experience feelings of doom and gloom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or feeling overwhelmed or anxious? And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot. She, yeah. She's like, have you been under a lot of stress lately? And I was like, yeah, I'm in grad school. Uh-huh. And she was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, I'm pretty sure what you experienced last night was a panic attack. Yeah. And she's like, in fact, I'm positive that's what it was. That's definitely what it was. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, really? Uh Uh-huh. Because that was not what I thought was a panic attack. In my world, a panic attack was somebody hyperventilating and flailing on the ground and crying and hysterics and all that. Mm -hmm. This was very methodical. Yep. It was very calm by all outside observations. Mm -hmm. Like, to me, that was not a panic attack. Yeah. But it was. It definitely was. Yeah. So that was kind of my, like, entrance into the world of not just anxiety, but panic. Yeah, that one's pretty, pretty explicitly panic because, I mean, clearly now you know that you dumped a bunch of adrenaline because you were mad. 
because you wanted to fight that girl. Yeah. So your fight or flight was turned on. And once all that adrenaline was in your body and your friend just went whoop and was off the screen or whatever and was and gone. And it was still there. All the, that adrenaline was still there. Was still and you my, were sitting mm-hmm. in a room by yourself with that adrenaline coursing through your veins. And that is very much like a drug. Well, it completely freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mostly. You were pretty sure you were going to die. That's why. It, it it wasn't because I just felt anxious and I thought I might be dying. It was because my brain had fully come to like an acceptance that I was dying in mm-hmm. that moment. And that really freaked me out. Yeah. It scared me because oh, yeah. I thought, well, if my brain can trick itself into thinking that I'm dying, like, what else might it do? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and me just being a control freak kind of person anyway, the thought of my brain taking control over me uh-huh. and my will really freaked me out. So yeah. I immediately went and saw, like, my family doctor. Yeah. Who was like, yeah, that sounds like panic and anxiety. Here's some drugs, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the way it's been ever since. Hmm. That's definitely what that is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As somebody who's experienced it myself, I could say that a lot of that sounds familiar to me, um, but some of it's different. Yeah. The interesting thing about anxiety is I, it manifests in so dif- so many different ways. A million different ways. Mm-hmm. And if one way stops working, your body will switch it. Right. That's where my point about like... Having the fear of going into public places, mm-hmm. even though I eventually, quote, got over that, the anxiety never really went away. Right. It just sort of moved to a new outlet. Yep. That's uh, it, it has a habit of doing that. That's mm-hmm. one of the things from my experience with anxiety. If I stop worrying about having, say, a heart attack, then I'll start worrying about having an aneurysm. If I stop worrying about having an aneurysm, I'll worry about getting necrotizing fasciitis, which is flesh-eating bacteria. Yeah, you just like think of all kinds of stuff. How do I even know that it's called necrotizing fasciitis? Because I do. Thanks, WebMD. Well, my experience with anxiety is kind of similar to yours in the aspect that I think I had stress and anxiety and a lot of like baby sort of panic attacks that kind of went unnoticed mm-hmm. until I had a big one that sent me to the doctor. Yep. Um, to set the setting, though, I was in Charleston. I was I was living in my early 20s. I had been down in Charleston living in a house with a bunch of friends, you know. <laughs> I'll never forget the night it happened. I found out, you know, the musician Everlast? Yeah. I found out that he had a heart attack when he was like 30. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like he was in House of Pain and he did a bunch yeah, of cocaine and right. smoked a bunch of weed and he had a, had a heart attack when he was 30. Uh-huh. And one night we were sitting around, I think we were, I don't know, we were drinking and doing whatever, you know, and the conversation came up and I was like, wow, I'm almost 30, even though I was 20. But the, the fact yeah, that you're like, Whoa. that's only 10 years from now uh-huh. and I could have a heart attack. Uh-huh. Like that freaked me out. And they were like, dude, you could have a heart attack right now. Like people have had heart so attacks. So your friends were of no help. No help at all. <laughs> they were like, oh yeah, man, yeah. you could, you could have it right now. Everlasted. And you know, he oh, lived kind of no. similar to you. No, what? No. Yeah, he I know. Like I was star. in a house of pain or something. You, you're not a rock star. But that didn't compute to me. It, all that, all that my brain understood was, wait a minute, I'm mortal. I could have a heart attack and die. Uh-huh. And not from being a big fat mess or being like you know chris farley and doing speedballs like i could die from a heart attack just because it could happen right okay and uh it freaked me out that night i couldn't sleep you know i had the the hot and cold sweats the things Mm -hmm. you were talking about i was freaked out i 
was de- just determined I was going to have a heart attack, just like Everlast did. <laughs> I'm going out like Everlast. Uh, right? What a weird... I know that is the weirdest catalyst <laughs> ever, but that's so what weird. it was. If, <laughs> if that Everlast had never had a heart attack... You would have been fine. I might not have ever been ridden with anxiety. <laughs> sure, I doubt it. <laughs> but still, that's pretty good. So... One night I have a big one, you know, it gets it gets real bad. I gotta go to the I gotta go to the hospital. I do this thing. You so do this like, like builds and builds, builds this and like builds. fear of your own impending mm-hmm. heart health. And I was kind of pushing it all down, bottling it up, not really addressing it. And then one night I thought I was dying. It was the same as yours. I, I had I quit doing smoking pot. I didn't do any drugs. I was completely one hundred percent sober for weeks. Right. And it just got worse and worse. Because you worse. thought, like, this will, like, I need to stop this party life. Yes. Because it's uh, going to kill me like it did. It almost killed Everlast. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I was living too hard. So yeah. I quit and it just got worse. Of infinitely course it worse. did. Yeah. <laughs> it just got so much worse. And because uh, I wasn't relaxing at all. Right. No, you were a nervous wreck and mm-hmm. a sober nervous yeah. wreck. It was focused on it. Yeah. It didn't work well. I ended up having this horrible panic attack. I thought I was going to die. I went to the hospital. They did the same thing. They gave me some Xanax and were like, yeah, you, you, it was a panic attack. You know, mm-hmm. you're fine. And then I was like, oh, no. You know, like that's when I realized what it was. So I decided that I was going to go see a therapist. So I, I called this therapist. The reason I called him is I'd heard him on the radio. He had a radio show like on AM radio in uh-huh. Charleston. <laughs> so I, you called a radio therapist. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because I was really into radio at the time. And uh-huh. in fact, there's kind of a running theme with me and it anxiety and uh the radio mm-hmm. i had um just really loved this is when i discovered npr i'd love this stuff and he he was a big radio guy so i called him and i told him i didn't have much money he was like okay you can meet me at my my wife's office because my office in the same building is being renovated mm-hmm. so i was like okay cool and i go to meet him there i go to the office and it's a gynecologist office. <laughs> his wife his wife is a straight up gynecologist in this big, like, you know, one of those big HMO facilities. Yeah, like a medical facility. It was She's one of those. She's a doctor. She's in there. Uh-huh. So I go, I walk in. There was two separate receptionists so that I went up to the one that said the doctor with my name on it. Mm-hmm. But the one right beside it was his wife, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, she was using a different name because I guess she'd been famous before as a gyno before (laughs) famous gyno famous gyno because it was a bumping gynecologist office let me tell you there was like 12 13 girls in there every time so yeah they end up and i i have to sit down and all the ladies are looking at me it did not help with my anxiety at all So it was a shared waiting room Mm -hmm, because the the bottom part where his office was was being renovated. Like there was construction everywhere, mm-hmm. so he had to work out of his wife's office, and it happened to gyno. be the gynecology office. <laughs> okay. And okay. so I go in, and I'm in this room where there's like models of plastic vaginas everywhere and diagrams, <laughs> and I've got to talk to this therapist about my <laughs> panic attack. Did did you did you like to touch? Did you? Yeah, touch? I touched it and it like fell apart into a million pieces, <laughs> and I'm like picking it up, and he's like, laughing. Oh God, at me. I broke the vagina. Yeah. He's laughing at me when we're talking about how awkward it was. Uh-huh. Um, but he was a really cool therapist, and he explained to me everything I needed to know, which was basically that I was having anxiety attacks, that they're not that uncommon, why you get them, all the nitty-gritty. And uh, took me to a doctor, because he, he was just a therapist, so he gave me a recommendation for a doctor. The doctor put me on several different anti-anxiety, antidepressants, until I found the right one. Right. And I settled down, and everything kind of was good for a while. Yeah. Um, so it was a very similar story to yours mm-hmm. until the second time it kicked in. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you just didn't have a weird gyno 
no, I <laughs> at no point was I in a, in a gynecology office. Yeah, for therapy. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> it was weird for yeah. months. <laughs> but uh, yeah, after I got you know, like I said, I moved on. I got better. Everything was kind of okay. Mm-hmm. And then I moved back home and I started working um in South, South Carolina upstate. And out of nowhere, I'm just driving one day, and I have another big panic attack, like a bad one. I thought I was going to die on the were side you, of the road. Were you still medicated at that point? Yes, I, I'd stayed on the medication, uh-huh. and I had not had any panic attacks. I'd actually been pretty good. Huh. It had been several years. Interesting, okay. And one day, I'm just driving. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I, I was delivering pizzas so i was up really late i'm driving home from work just a regular day. it was like a wednesday at two in the morning driving home and i i think i'm gonna die the same thing happens you while know while you're driving while i'm driving Ooh. and then it gets worse and worse and worse to the point where i started to throw up every time i left the house or went to do anything oh so if i um like i guess my heartburn started to get bad about the same time and so i had it where if I wanted to do anything, like it was specifically for me, it was moving locations. It wasn't so much being around people. Mm-hmm. It was just the panic attacks kept happening while I was driving or while I was in commute. Mm-hmm. So I got, I guess you in got my brain. scared to do those Yeah, things. I was like, if I don't go places, if I don't have a commute, I can't have the panic attack that happens during So the that's almost like forming a sort of agoraphobia. Yes. Not wanting to leave your house or right. wherever you are. But it was weird because I wanted to be in the next place. I just didn't want to the travel. That was what was messing with me. Uh-huh. And um, I would throw up before I left anywhere. I used to do this thing where I'd tell people, like, I got to go outside and muster is what I called it, enough courage to leave. And that meant go puke. Wow. So that I would feel enough, not like not nausea in my stomach, they would leave the tension in my stomach to be able to go somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I remember being in a grocery store and passing out, and then everybody- so You actually passed out in a store. In a store, yeah, in a Walmart. Oh, no. I was standing there looking at groceries, and everything started going, whoa, 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 mm-hmm. whoa, 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 And then the next thing I know- the Walmart employees like slapped me on the face and there's like 10 people leaned over and they're asking me if I'm okay and I need to call the ambulance. And I just got up and left. I just got up and got in my car and left. I don't know if they called an ambulance yeah, or not. It's such an embarrassing yeah. experience. I can totally. I just awkwardly left. Yeah. You're like, Oh no, I gotta, I gotta, gotta go. Uh-huh. I gotta go. Bye. <laughs> yeah. I assume they thought I was on drugs, but I wasn't. Probably, that was yeah. the thing. I, and so, you know, I got it, went back to therapy and talked to, you know, and things I found out that basically, you know, it, it had come back. It was another manifestation of this and that it was generalized anxiety disorder. Yeah. Which is basically the stress that I have in life. Just I push it down and it pops its head out sometimes. Yeah. And that's the way that it happens to me. And it wiggles and it moves from mm-hmm. point to point and things that will cause you anxiety one year. Mm-hmm. You don't even think about again for years yep. and years and years. And it comes up in yep. another way. Yeah. I'm driving home in that song. And you really might know what it's like yeah. to have to choose that everlast song to come on. And then next thing you know, I'm freaking the fuck out. And it's been four years. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and Everlast mm. is giving me a panic attack and I don't know why. Yeah. So that was my kind of experience with it until, you know, again, I talked to doctors. I got on the right medicine. And since then, I've been pretty good. 
right. until the pandemic. Yeah, I think the pandemic for us as well as a lot of people has been just mm-hmm. such a rekindling yes. <laughs> of any sort of anxiety disorder that yeah. you might have had. Because I, I, yeah, I too, I've been doing really well mm-hmm. um, up until about mm, March yeah. <laughs> of this year. And And the same sort of thing is happening. It's that I have a bunch of general anxiety that gets pressed down. I can't address all of it because it's it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it builds up and then like a hernia just pops out sometimes and ruins my day or whatever. Yeah, and, and manifests in ways that you believe are real. Oh yeah. And the in if as soon as you as soon as you conquer it, as soon as you go, wait, I know I'm not having a stroke, then it moves to something else because you because it's got to go, it has to go somewhere. Right. The purpose of it is to get you to change. The reason your body is doing this to you is because it wants you to change your behavior. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you find a way to ignore it, mm-hmm. it comes at you in a new way so that you will address whatever the problem is. Your body's trying to tell you you need to change your behavior, <laughs> okay. but you're not listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a lot of us, it's just we need to move. Yeah. Like that adrenaline builds up and yeah. or dumps or whatever. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is exercise. That is something I've been learning a lot about recently. And I've I've learned that it can very much... There are lots of things like you were talking about, exercise, mm-hmm. that can help when you're in the midst of the panic attack. Mm-hmm. Um, or when you're in the midst of a lot of anxiety. I think they... It helps even when you're not in the midst of. I think it helps to buffer it from happening. I think so, too. But what I what I more mean is that as a rule to get rid of general anxiety, you're going to have to change your lifestyle and change um, the way you interpret the world. There's things called cognitive behavioral therapy that's about changing your behavior. Mm-hmm. That is one way to address and deal with the, the anxiety. It's probably what you need to be doing. Yes. If but, you were if you were seeking therapy, mm-hmm. chances are good. Um, that's what they're going to give you. For anxiety, they're going to do some cognitive behavioral therapy. Which is a, a therapy that's based around changing your behaviors in reaction to things that give you stress. It's also about changing, yeah, your thoughts. Yeah, your patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was more talking about is things that you can do when the panic is hurting you. Yeah. Um, Because cognitive behavioral therapy, as great as it is, isn't going to really help you in the grips of a panic attack. No, I do. It's a long-term thing. Movement, though. Yes. In my own, like, anecdotal experiences, um, physically Mm -hmm. getting up, moving around, and especially if I can go outside. Yes. Or just move in a way that's, like, not my normal movement. Mm -hmm. So exercise. Yeah, because that adrenaline dump, these hormones that are going into your body, are um, they need to come out in a, in a relatively natural way. I guess the best way I could describe it is from a book that's called um, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by Richard Serpotsky. Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Yes, it's that's a good name like for a that. book. I like that title. Um, and zebras don't get ulcers, even though you'd think they would have a lot of Well, yeah, they're out there stress. getting chased every day by yeah. lions. But they don't. Um, they don't have hormones dumps like we do at all and that is because they're evolved like we have (laughs) we have (laughs) kinds of stress that would chemicals that dump in our body from uh 10,000 years ago when we would be chased by giant mammoths and lions and (laughs) saber-toothed tigers Uh and those chemicals do things to your body like improve your heart rate cause your uh, respiration to increase cause you to sweat cause you to hold on to water these things were all good if you're running for your life sure but if you're in your room 
and your friend just said, eh, sorry, that sucks. See you later. Mm-hmm. And you're completely worked up and you've got that fight or flight chemical dumped into your yeah, body. And there's no mammoth chasing you. You you got to get it out mm-hmm. or else you will lay there and feel like you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Or know that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's happening. And in, in this book, he, uh, Dr. Sapolsky does a great job of explaining everything about the different chemicals, hormones and the way they affect your body. And it's, it's really fascinating. It's a great mm-hmm. book. And one of the things that I learned from it is that when your body dumps all of these hormones, it's like a cocktail, and some of them can tell your body to do opposite things. So it can tell your heart to speed up and slow down at the same time. Ah. Now, remember when I said earlier I didn't think I was going to die from a heart attack because I I didn't do speed balls like Chris Farley did? Yeah, well, that is is a speed ball. That is a speed ball. That's what I was getting at. That's what he pointed out in the book. Mm -hmm. When your your brain is dumping those chemicals, telling your heart to speed up, slow down, to try to balance. That is really bad for it. It's not good. Yeah, especially if it's happening repeatedly. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically the same thing as Chris Farley shooting up a bunch of heroin and then snorting a bunch of coke. So, so basically, if you have completely uncontrolled, overpowering amounts mm-hmm. of stress and anxiety at any kind of consistent chronic level you're basically chris farley you might as well be slamming heroin and coke right into your vein yeah basically (laughs) that's so messed up it it is but it's that's as far as your heart's concerned the same thing is happening yeah um and i think that's really crazy and i also think it's interesting he talks about these great things called uh glucocorticoids which are longer lasting versions of hormones that do similar things so they're similar to say testosterone or estrogen except they last longer and they're not as severe affecting on the body. Mm-hmm. Human beings have more of those than other animals, the theory being that we're going to evolve to ditch some of those more drastic hormones and be on these longer-lasting ones. That's probably, if I had to guess, the way things are going to go. We're just not there yet. We're not there so yet. in the so meantime... We have anxiety, a lot yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. I imagine that as human beings' civilization lasts for longer and longer, we will have more of a need for longer-lasting, less severe changes to our body from our brain, and those glucocorticoids will probably be the way that it will go, according to this doctor. I don't know. It's a fascinating book. It sounds like it. Yeah, and uh, I wanted to plug it there, so... <laughs> Um, not that I'm getting paid or anything, but It'd be nice. it's a good book. And, you know, he kind of ends it with uh, sort of a uh, social setting of like, so we have a social construction where we keep people living in permanent anxiety and that's hurting their bodies. So like by having a social system that keeps people in poverty, we're doing violence to them, mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. to their bodies. And I could see that connection. I could make that connection. So, so one of the things that I think has permeated a bit of this conversation so far has been our own um not only experiences but our own privilege yeah because we've both talked about mental health yeah and kind of a very like yeah i went and saw a counselor yeah and a very kind of lighthearted like yeah i sought therapy yeah i think that's the way it should be i do too on a personal level Uh but the reality is that a lot of people don't see it that way. Yeah, we're the Carolina liberal snowflakes, though, so I think we're allowed we're, to be flippant with therapy. <laughs> we, Yeah, we can be, I guess. But the point is, we live in an area mm. in the rural South that generally, as a culture, does not approach therapy or view therapy in the way that no. you and I do. I think even an older generation doesn't. It's more than just that. It's it? It's very specific to su- Southern. Huh. Um, and even here in Appalachia, okay, there's there's some 
very specific antitrust towards therapy and mental health. I was uh, unaware of that. Treatment. No, it's definitely a thing. So when we were preparing for this episode, um, I decided to go and kind of refresh on like the different types of anxiety and treatments and, and whatever. And, and I came across, I wanted to see if there was something specific to our area yeah. that I could find, uh-huh. like numbers or stats or something. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't find numbers or exact statistics, but I did find this article on the journal called The Archives of Psychiatric Nursing. Okay. And the article is called No Comfort in the South, Women Living Depressed. And so it's specifically about Southern Appalachian women and their perspectives and opinions towards mental health um, or mental illness. That's interesting. And although the article is about depression, I think it carries forward into anxiety. Yeah, and it probably, yeah, it manifests in them not wanting to see shrinks generally. Right. And not only just not wanting to see shrinks, but Uh how they interpret mental illness. Yeah. So this is from the article. It says, individual experience of mental illness is bound by culture. Mm -hmm. Contrary to biomedical causal models of depression, impoverished rural Southern women attribute illness symptoms to other causes. Southern religion, Appalachian and poverty cultures, gender, ethnicity, language, and stigma influence the meaning assigned by these women to their depressive symptoms. Beliefs in the causes of mental illness are rooted in Southern religious traditions, including evangelical Christianity, slave religion, and derivatives of early 18th century voodoo. Thus, spirit possession and punishment are important attributions for the causes of mental illness by impoverished Southern rural residents. So... It's not only that mental illness is a thing and it's taboo, but it's associated or explained by other causes. Right. It's you're possessed by the devil. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting because, as I said, there are a lot of body effects that can happen to you from anxiety mm-hmm. that um, that you can read a book that explains the, the chemistry of what's happening and why it does it to your body. But back in the day, they didn't have that understanding, so they would attribute it to demons and devils. Well, you say back in the day... It still happens. Well, I know. It still happens. (laughs) This article was just written a few years ago. Yeah. But what I'm saying is when they originated the idea that it was devils, they had a pretty good excuse in that they didn't know better. Right. And the people that are still perpetuating that should know better and... And, and do it anyway. That's the difference. So the author of this article wrote about a particular study uh-huh. that was done. And it says the Appalachian subculture in the mountainous regions of the rural South. Hi, that's us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> has attributions for behavior commonly associated with mental illness that differ from those based on the biomedical model. For example... Appalachians lay non-Appalachians, so just regular folks who don't live here, Uh and mental health professionals were asked to respond to eight vignettes describing men and women who had been hospitalized for mental illness. Okay. Most Appalachian respondents did not endorse behaviors in the vignettes as associated with mental illness, Mm -hmm. even though they were labeled as such by mental health professionals and even lay non-Appalachians. Like, this was... Very specific. So only Appalachians think that this isn't crazy. Yeah. Or they think it's the devil or... Yeah. It's, it, this is very specific to Appalachian culture, which mm-hmm. I found fascinating. 
Appalachians ascribed different meanings to the same behaviors, labeling them as giving up, immoral, stupid, rude. Yeah. Lots of people are like that. Yeah. Bully, mean, and drinking too much. Mm-hmm. Most Appalachians said that behavior evident in the vignettes should be punished tolerated or justified yeah only a few thought that mental health treatment was warranted Mm -hmm. in a more recent study of appalachian women severely depressed respondents did not recognize their symptoms as depression and delayed seeking treatment until they were having considerable difficulty functioning Mm -hmm. because impoverished rural southern women believe that god works through the individual they turn to family friends and special healers to help them recover their health. Further, they are unlikely to see mental health or other providers as helpful in managing their symptoms. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this kind of cycle yep. of denial. Yes. And and I mean, I could I could at least make an argument that there's a structural reason for that. It's to keep them oppressed and that like it's it works to the benefit of the privilege to keep them um away from mental health to keep them depressed and then thinking that they're not depressed. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. It's a way to keep poverty people in poverty. What I found most interesting in that part of the article was like how Southern Appalachian women labeled the behavior of clearly mentally ill people Yeah, as being like, oh, he just had too much to drink right. or, oh, he's just mean. He's just a meanie, mm-hmm. you know, or lots of people are like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it made me think there's this like slogan. Um, You see it on T-shirts or mugs and stuff sometimes that says, here in the South, we don't hide crazy. We parade it on the front porch and give it a cocktail. Yeah. How true. That is very true. <laughs> like if you're not acknowledging what it is in the moment. Oh, yeah. That is a Southern thing. Mm-hmm. To, to not only um, have mental illness around you, but to deny that that's what it is and to parade it out on the front porch. And I think there's, I find it fascinating that there's sort of a political dynamic happening here as well. And that mm-hmm. is that the, that the one side of the aisle, we'll say, we'll go ahead and put a pin on it. The Republicans want to keep the Appalachian people worked up and thinking that they don't want all these liberals coming in changing their values. Yeah. And so they see mental health and mental health professionals as the liberals coming in, changing their values. The Republicans aren't helping in integrating mental health into Appalachia. As an Appalachian myself, Uh I don't know that I would, as much as I would love to, (laughs) I don't know that I would completely blame the Republicans for that because... Appalachian culture is pretty rooted in not trusting outsiders. Right, it is. And it's been that way for a very long time. Right, but what I mean is that a party has taken that and made it political. Oh, yeah. No, they've scooped in and been like, yes. Yeah, I'm not attributing the fact that Appalachians don't like outsiders or Republicans. I'm saying that Republicans took that fact and are using it to exacerbate the problem. That is true. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yes. And it's making it harder for uh, the Appalachians to have acceptance of mental health because it's being portrayed as some liberal thing coming from the outside. When you and I both know that that's not true. And also, as the article mentioned, this is the impoverished Yes. South. So it's easy to trick them. And not only that, but access to mental health treatment is already so limited Mm -hmm. 
um, you throw in poverty and it's even more limited. Right. Some part of it might be coping on the side of the Appalachians in the sense that they're too poor to even afford mental health. So as opposed to saying this is something I wish I could get, but I can't afford, it's easier to say that it's it's bull hockey and that it's just something rich people or, waste their money as on. as she pointed out, it's easier to say I'm going to turn to my God or my yeah. family and my, right. my spiritual healers. It's easier. It's easier and it it it's culture. But I feel like in the end, it hurts us more. It definitely does. Yeah. I just thought it would be smart or, you know, on our part to mention like. I find that fascinating. That we are coming from definitely a place of privilege in this. Oh, yeah. Just kind of acknowledge that. For sure. I, I, I mean, partially just liberal attitudes towards mental health in general. Yeah. Like I don't have that feeling of stigma on going to see a therapist me either actually all. if somebody tells me they're going to go see a therapist i'm like hi fine yeah yes, nice good right i think everybody should in amanda's perfect utopia everyone born gets assigned a therapist right that you have through for life yeah <laughs> yeah i agree and i think that, that that is partially privileged that's unfortunate that we live in a world where money has something to do with all that but it's true money and education and access right yeah right well, in the spirit of anxiety and stress. Woo, the spirit. Yeah. we When we first bought uh, these microphones that we're using to record, I, we were testing them out. You know, we were hooking them up to everything, trying to make everything sound good. Mm-hmm. And you would have had a very stressful day at work. I remember it very specifically because there was a woman <laughs> who had called you uh-huh. to yell at you. Oh, yes. Yes. What did she yell at you about? Um, mostly about George Soros, yeah, Antifa, <laughs> Black Lives Matter. Uh-huh. Um, she kept me on the phone for far too long, I should mm. say, or I stayed on the phone with her for far too long. And you I eventually, actually, like, let her have it. I maintained my cool uh-huh. for a really long time, <laughs> way longer than I would normally. Yeah. Um, and it just eventually graded and graded and graded, and I lost my cool and exploded all over this woman through the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I let her have it. Yeah. Um, and you told her that you were a socialist. I no, I told her I was a dirty liberal snowflake. Yeah, nice. And she was, she gasped. Uh, <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, "That's right." Yeah, I'm a dirty liberal snowflake. Tell all your friends. Yeah, <laughs> you did say I that. Did. That's what it was. And you were very worked up, and you told me the story about it. I told it. you about it. You told it. me at, at work, and I think you told me again when you were at home, and then you were on the computer typing it angrily to somebody. And then I, my and mom then, called. Then your mom called, and at that time, I had the microphone set up, and I was just- In the other room. In, in the other room, just messing around with the guitars, like playing around, singing. And um, I happened to catch you <laughs> when your mother was on the phone. And you're like, Mom, this fucking woman called me. <laughs> I was retelling the story. And you were mad, but the way you yelled, this fucking woman. And the microphones happened to catch it or pick it up. was hilarious to me. So while you were talking to your mom and telling her the entire story, <laughs> I recorded a little song with that clip. Mm-hmm. A song, and we want to debut that song here right now in a bit that we call A Song for Anxiety. And uh, I wrote a song to fit your anxiety. It's called This Fucking Woman. This Fucking Woman. And we're going to play it now. Yeah, enjoy. This Fucking Woman. This Fucking Woman. 
this fucking one this fucking woman fucking woman why did she call me fucking woman this fucking woman fucking woman yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow i forgot how great that song was it's pretty spectacular yeah but I, also kind of embarrassing it is i think that's the first thing i recorded on these microphones i don't know how to sing and play guitar thing. by the way at all so well no but you were just messing around trying to figure out how yeah. how the sound worked i'm not the i'm not going to be the next justin bieber that's for sure and it just so happened that i was in the background <laughs> yelling this relaying fucking woman that's fucking woman oh it was hilarious <laughs> so that does it for this week's episode of the Carolina Snowflakes podcast. If you like what you heard or if it gave you a bunch of anxiety, you can <laughs> find our website. CarolinaSnowflakes.com And uh, if you uh, want to chat with others about your anxiety, you can always do that on Facebook and hit us up. <laughs> Facebook.com forward slash Carolina Snowflakes. And if you're not too nervous about it, you can send us an email on the Gmail. Carolinasnowflakes at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.